Amen. Well, Father God, we thank you for today. Father, we thank you that we are one church, with one hope, with the same message. Message of your love and grace. We thank you for that. Father, I pray that you be with us now as we look at your word. Pray that you speak to us mightily, Father. Pray that my lips are your lips, my heart is your heart. And Father, that we just won't be just hearers of the word, but we will be doers of it as well. Thank you for today. We thank you for what you're doing in our church. Pray that your will is done and not our own. And I ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Good morning, church. It is uh, really great to be here as we are in our series, Encounter Missions. And as the passage we just read, it's really a powerful verse talking about the plentiful few. The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. You know, one of the things, as Pastor Barry already alluded to, is really missions is in our DNA. What I want to encourage you to do is take out your service sheet and look at the very front of your service sheet. There's a statement at the bottom of that service sheet that has been on our service sheet for many, many years. It's to call our world to Christ. Many of us wouldn't even recognize that probably the fact that that's on there on almost everything that we print. The call our world to Christ. Oftentimes we overlook it. We don't think through it. We just assume that's just some statement that we have here at Christ Church. But in reality, it's, it is our DNA. It's everything that we do. It's to call our world to Christ. We use every opportunity to do that, to call our world to Christ. Talk about the love and grace of Jesus Christ. How he died for us, forgave us. We can have a relationship with him. That's really our DNA. It's been our DNA for many, many years, since the beginning of our church. This past week... As Pastor Barry prayed for as well, we had a memorial service for Dorothy White, a longtime member of our church. And during that service right here in the sanctuary, there was an excellent opportunity for us to see the life that Dorothy lived and really celebrate her life. You know, Dorothy was not only a longtime member of our church, but she was really part of the Encounter Uganda experience uh, missions that we've had for so many years. Many of you know we had an encounter in Uganda where our church partnered with a town in Uganda and came and ministered, met the physical need as well as the spiritual need there. Very similar to what we're doing in the Dominican Republic, and Dorothy was, was, a, was a part of that. And you could see the fruit of that, her being there and encouraging uh, pastors helping meet needs of those, those children and people in that community. Not only do we talk about that and celebrate that of her life at the memorial service, but we use that opportunity at that memorial service for anybody in the room to come to know who Jesus was. And so it's really the DNA, the heart of what we are here at Christ Church, to call our world to Christ. And we seek to do that in every way possible. That's why here today we have another opportunity for us to get involved, to call our world to Christ. There's many ministries and missions we have here at Christ Church, and we're constantly talking about all the things that we're doing in an effort to, to, to get you involved, to be able to serve, to use your gifts. And we have, as Kathy alluded to already, another mission, Encounter Dominican. We call it Encounter Dominican because we're doing very similar things that we did in Uganda, very similar things. In fact, some of the folks that were on that Uganda uh, trip 
uh, for those many years are uh, part of this ministry and mission as well. We're going to be doing a commissioning for those that uh, are, have been in Uganda in a few weeks because they go back from time to time. And uh, we're going to be commissioning them here in uh, the service uh, coming up in a matter of weeks. But we are really talking about a new mission here. Now the question we've gotten a lot is, why the Dominican? There's a lot of ministries and missions all over the world, aren't there? We could have gone to anywhere. We could have gone to Mexico. We could have gone to uh, overseas Asia or China. We could have gone to somewhere else in, in the Caribbean. We could have gone to somewhere else in Africa. Why the Dominican? Well, Kathy, as, as alluded to, did a lot of research for a year or so. And there was a lot of ministry opportunities there, a lot of missions. And we had the opportunity to go. And when we saw the need, we realized that these people really need our help. The need was there. And we cared about those people. And we thought, you know, we can come alongside our church and help this community transform to some of the other communities that other churches have partnered with. And it was a wonderful experience to be there. And now it's the long answer. The short answer, and this may sound some, somewhat callous, and, is why the Dominican? The answer is why not? I remember somebody saying that to me as over the last year as we were talking with, with John and I and Jamie and Kathy were talking about this. And I'm not sure which one of us said it. It might have been John or Jamie. We said, why are we going to Dominican? We could go anywhere. The answer is, why not? The need is there. And we can come alongside and help that need. And we care about those people. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. You know, there's a lot of needs throughout our world. There's a lot of needs right here in our church, right here in our community. Some of us will never be called to go overseas. Some of us are called to work with a lot of our local missions, and that's great. But we're all called to call our world to Christ, aren't we? Whether it's in ministry or missions or in our workplaces. Some of us are going to go into work tomorrow. And our ministry field is right there in front of us. Some of us have friends and family members who don't know the love of Jesus Christ. Our mission is to call our world to Christ. And last week, you know, we talked about how Christ called the disciples. Talked about being fishers of men back in the beginning part of Matthew. And in this passage here, he's going to talk about the method of which we do that. Whether we're traveling overseas or whether we're going into work tomorrow, our heart needs to be the same. There's a method of how we are to reach the lost. You know, it's interesting if you look at the context of this passage. If you look at the background, you know, for uh, chapter 8 and 9, we see Jesus going through and healing all kinds of people, healing all kinds of diseases. He heals a paralyzed man. He raises a dead girl. Uh, Peter's mother-in-law heals a sick woman, heals a blind man, heals a demon-possessed man. Then we have this passage right here where he says the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Then in chapter 10, he commissions the disciples and they go out. So here we have the method of which we are to call our world to Christ, whether it's internationally, locally, or in our homes. So how do we fulfill that mission? That's the question. How do we fulfill that mission? If we're going to be fishers of men, as we talked about last week, how do we fulfill our mission? Well, it starts with, first, we have to see the need. We have to see the need. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn to your service sheets. Verse 36 says, when he saw the crowds, when he saw the crowds, Jesus was looking for the need. He wasn't just seeing a mass of people. He was looking for the need. I encourage you, have you ever looked around and asked where the need is? Whether in the church, see someone maybe crying or by themselves. Have you ever asked what the need is? What about in your workplaces and you see someone struggling, hurting? Have you ever asked what the need is? 
Do you see the need there? I'm sure you've heard the story. There's a famous story of a guy named Mike who was in high school. And he was walking home from school one day and he sees across the street a, a fellow he had not known before. And the fellow looked pretty rough. Didn't have the nicest clothes on, looked really sad, was very upset, and was carrying a ton of books with him. And as they were walking along, Mike sees that a bunch of boys came up and pushed this kid over, kicked him, punched him in the face, and all his books flew over all over the street. So Mike says, you know what, there's a need right there. So he goes over and helps this young man. Picks up his books, sees that he's crying, sees that he's all alone, and invites him to come to his house to hang out for the rest of the day. Finds out this, this boy's name is Kyle. Mike and Kyle become best of friends throughout the rest of high school, playing sports together, hanging out together, doing all kinds of things together. And Kyle ends up becoming the valedictorian of his class. So Kyle gets to give the speech, and he was very nervous about the speech before he was about to go out. And Mike comes over and kind of pats him on the back and says, you'll be great, Kyle. Just speak your heart. Speak your heart, Kyle. So Kyle goes out and changes his speech and proceeds to talk about Mike. About the need to see others in, in need. And he talked about how the fact that he was on his way home from school that day to kill himself. He had all his books. He had tons of books with him because he didn't want his mother to have to go clean out his locker at the end of the day. After he went home and committed suicide. Mike came alongside him, saw the need. And he said, you know what, someone actually loves me and cares about me. Turn his life all around. Mike saw the need. Yeah, you can clap for that. Mike saw the need. We have to see people differently. You know, oftentimes we look at people from a human point of view. The disciples did that, didn't they? They, they, throughout time and time again, people are coming up to Jesus and they're saying, you know what, no, he doesn't have time for that. Remember the story of uh, Mark chapter 10, the blind Bartimaeus. It says they came to Jericho. In Mark 10, verse 4, and as Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Tim, Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus, son of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him. He said, be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. People were constantly saying, listen, we don't have time for that. We don't have time for these physical needs. Remember the, uh, the children that were being brought to Jesus. And these parents are bringing the children to Jesus and, and the disciples step in and say, no, 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 don't, don't. We, we don't have time for that. He doesn't have time for that. And Jesus says, suffer the little children to come to me for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You know, we give the disciples kind of a bad rap. You go, man, I can't believe that you would, you would, you would oversee the need of that. It's so clear, so obvious. But we do that all the time, don't we? You know, if you... Uh, a few weeks ago, I was doing a, uh, a hospital visit, going downtown. Pastor Barry and I visited many hospitals um, yeah, throughout our time. And I was going downtown, and I, I kind of got turned around. There was a detour, and I ended up in a very bad area. And I came up to a stoplight, and when I came up to the stoplight, I saw a huge fight happening on the, on the sidewalk. It was, a, it was a guy and a girl, and it, they looked like they had maybe been on the street or were homeless or at least didn't have very much. And they were screaming at each other. She's crying. He looks in fury, just looks like he was so angry at what was going on, the situation. And he leaves the scene, and she's on the ground on the street crying. And he comes and stares right at me because I'm at the stoplight right there. Of course, I do what everybody else does is I lock my door and pretend I'm on my phone. 
Yes, Deb, what did you need? I don't even have my phone in my hand. And I drive away. And I said, you know, I don't have time for that. I've got to go to the hospital. The Lord convicted me of that. I said, you know what? The need was right there. You saw the need, but you thought you had other things to do. Jesus saw the need. And he said, listen, I'm going to meet that need. Not only do we, do we often say, listen, I don't have time for that, or, or I see the need, or somebody else will take care of it, but we often look at people uh, differently. We look at something's wrong with them. Remember John 9, 1, he says, as he went along, Jesus saw a blind man from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Not, hey, he has a need there, but what's wrong with him? I drove away thinking, man, what a crazy situation that is. There must be something going on with that couple, whether it's drugs or some other situation going on. Boy, I hope somebody else meets that need. We often look at people and we go, man, I wonder why that person's crying. I wonder why that person is so sad. I wonder why that marriage is falling apart. We look at that and we think, man, there's something wrong there. The need is the fact that they don't have, many of them don't have Jesus. They don't have a peace in their own life. We label people. We have to see the need clearly. Jesus saw the need clearly. He saw people. He didn't just see crowds of people. Have you ever looked around and say, really, where's the need? So not only do we need to see the need, but we also need to care for the need. We need to care for the need. Look at uh, verse 36, the later part of verse 36. He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He had compassion on them. You have to understand this word compassion is a, is, a, is a Greek word, which really means at the gut level. It refers to the intestines or bowels. Many of us know from personal experience, whether it's like an intense emotional problem going on or fear happening, where we actually get physically sick. Many parents know that feeling of your, your child in a, some kind of tragedy or sick, where you actually feel sick yourself. That's how much compassion Jesus had on them. That's why when Matthew 8 says Jesus took on our infirmities and carried away diseases, it wasn't that Jesus actually got contagious of all the diseases that he touched, but he took them on. He physically felt sick because he had such compassion on these people. Many of us in here need to hear this because some of us are dealing with all kinds of stuff in life. And let me just say to you, Jesus knows where you're at. Not just from a a, a kind of a superficial, he knows where you're at. He cares for you deeply. He's moved deeply by your need. You're not alone. He's there. 1 John 4, 8 says, God is love. Not only does he care, but he does something, doesn't he? You know, there's so many times throughout the scripture as he's healing all these people that he puts his hand on them. He touches somebody and they're healed. Puts his hand on somebody's eyes or ears. Raises people from the dead. And I always wondered, why did Jesus do that? Jesus could have easily kind of gone through with like a, like a wand or something and just kind of healing everybody's diseases. Why did he have to physically touch them? Because he's showing us an example of how we need to be there for people. How it's an individual ministry to these people. Lives touched one at a time. Because love usually involves touching. He touched the people. Why? Because they were sheep without a shepherd. John 10, 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me. I know the father. I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice. And there shall be one flock, one shepherd. That's powerful, church. 
Praise God, he is our good shepherd. Differentiated from somebody who's obviously a bad shepherd, he's the good shepherd. Why? Because he cares for his sheep deeply. He goes after his sheep. He cares. He has compassion for his sheep. Not just some shepherd who, sheep runs away, it's okay. He goes after them. He has a compassion for them. Many of us need to feel that this morning. He's coming after you. He has compassion for you. So not only did Jesus see the need, not only did he care for the need, but we see from this passage that we have to consider the need as well. We have to consider the need. Look at verse 37. He said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. I always think of this uh, harvest is plentiful. I always think of when I used to, every year when I grew up, our vacation was uh, to go uh, visit my grandfather uh, who had a small church out in Iowa. That was a fun vacation as kids, uh, going out to the middle of nowhere. And I remember his church was in the middle of a cornfield. <laughs> going back to school, I remember everybody's talking about they're going to the beach and going to Disney World or whatever. I was like, where'd you go, Jared? I went to, I went to Iowa. Huh? But I always remember the harvest. It was always harvest time. And one year I remember one of his neighbors gave <laughs> to him uh, 200 dozen ears of corn. You can guess what we had for every meal for two weeks there when we had 200 dozen ears of corn. And guess who had to chuck all that corn? Yes, that was our vacation, chucking corn. And I remember, I remember when we were sitting there with myself and my cousins, and I think it was one of my aunts came by, and she, she was trying to encourage us, because this is like the worst job ever. She, was, she kept saying, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few, like trying to really encourage us through scripture. And first off, totally out of context. But I always think the harvest, I think a harvest, I think, when we think of harvest, we think of all this plentiful stuff out there. There's a lot of people out there. And so for a long time when I see this passage, I always thought that's what the harvest is. It's the lost people. It's the people that are lost, that don't know the love and saving grace of Jesus. And while that is somewhat accurate, the more I study, the more we look into this, we have to understand that harvest is often referred to as God's judgment. If you look at the next verse, the Lord of the harvest. People don't know him. How can they be their Lord? What is the harvest? The harvest refers to God's judgment. What is the harvest? Isaiah 17. You have forgotten God, your Savior. You have not remembered the rock, your fortress. Therefore, though you set out the finest plants and planted and boarded vines, though on the day you sent them out, you make them grow, and on the morning when you plant them, you will bring them to bud, yet the harvest will be as nothing in the day of the disease and incurable pain. Joel 3, come quickly. All you nations from every side, assemble there. Bring down your warriors, Lord. Let the nations be roused. Let them advance into the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there I will sit to judge all the nations on every side. Swing the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come trample the grapes, for the winepress is full. The vats of our foes, so great is their wickedness. Matthew 13, let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring them into my barn. Jesus ministered so compassionately because he knew the ultimate divine judgment towards every person who didn't have their faith and trust in him. The wages of sin is death, it says in Romans, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So the question is, well, Jared, if, if it's the lost or if it's the harvest, the judgment, what's the difference? Why is that even important to understand what the harvest is? It's important that we remember. 
It's important that we remember and consider. Don't lose awareness of the imminence and inevitability of God's judgment. We don't go and share the love of Jesus Christ. We don't talk about what he did on the cross because we're being good citizens. Or because we're trying to fill some duty. We go, we have compassion to go, we minister, we talk about the love of Jesus. Why? Because deep down we know that if they don't know him, that they will not have a joy or peace in this life, and they'll never be with him in heaven when he dies, when they die. That's why we do it. That's why he had such compassion. We can't lose awareness of that. We can't lose awareness of that. You know, I think of when Jesus was uh, ministering to the woman at the well. You remember the story of the woman at the well? She was at the well, and Jesus went and ministered to her, and he talked about the well that springs up of eternal life. And this woman was obviously at the well. She, at a weird time of day, she was somewhat of an outcast to society. She had multiple husbands. She was obviously living a very unrighteous life. And so no one wanted to be around her. So she had to go to the well by herself. And so Jesus went and administered to her. What's powerful about that is when he came back, after he was done ministering to that, to that woman at the well in John 4, the disciples, and this isn't on the screen, they were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one, it says in verse 24 of John 4, or 27, no one says, what do you want? No one asked, why are you talking with her? They didn't even consider it. Oftentimes we will go right by people and go, I don't know, that person's in need, but I'm not going to minister to them. Somebody else will do that. We'll look at somebody at our workplace or our family who's obviously has a has no peace in their life, has no relationship with Jesus Christ, and we go, somebody else will minister to them. Jesus is saying here, we have to have a, a change of thinking. We have to not only see the need, have compassion for the need, but we need to consider the need as well. It's a total mindset. Total mindset. It's amazing, as, as Kathy talked about us walking through the Dominican Republic, People were just pouring out of their homes. We were just getting a tour of the town, pouring out of their homes, following us, kids holding hands on all sides, everywhere. Why do they do that? Because time and time again, people walked right by that town and said, somebody else will deal with it. Somebody else will minister to that town. Not me. I don't have time. I don't know what's going on in that town. I don't know why they're so poor. I don't know why it's so third world country, but somebody else will deal with it. That's why we have such compassion, because you know what? No, we need to go. We're calling our world to Christ. We must think differently and consider the need. So not only do we need to see the need, not only do we need to have compassion for the need, not only do we need to consider the need, but we need to pray for the need. We need to pray for the need. I love the fact that we're giving out magnets today for all of you to put on your fridge. Remember to pray for those people in that community. Hopefully it'll remember you to pray for our church. I hope that you'll pray for yourselves to be able to be used by God in some way or another. Whether, whether it's through the Dominican and going or, or right there in your workplaces, right there in your homes. We have to pray for the need. 
It says in verse 38, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. The fascinating thing when you get to verse, chapter 10, when you find that Jesus commissioned the disciples, is that the people that were praying for the need were the answer to their own prayers. People that were praying for the need were the answer to their own prayers. A lot of people are going to have trouble praying because, and we often do, we think, if I pray for it, then God's going to convict me to do something about it. So we don't want to pray about it. We'll pray, God, I pray that you send somebody else. Or I pray that you somehow work in the life of this person who's hurting that doesn't know you. When the reality is, God wants to use you in mighty, mighty ways. The magnets we have are not a promotion. It's really to pray. It really is to pray. And that's my encouragement for you to pray. And my question as we leave this morning is, as you go throughout your life, today or tomorrow, your workplaces, do you see the need around you? Do you see the need? Do you, do you have compassion for the need? Knowing that those people may, may not know the love of Jesus Christ and may never be with him in this life or the next. Do you have compassion? Will you consider the need? Have a different mindset? Say, you know what? Maybe God's calling me to reach out to them. And we pray for them. Pray that he'll send out workers into the harvest field. That's my prayer as we continue to fulfill our mission here at Christ Church. To call our world to Christ. Let's pray. God, we thank you for today. I thank you for the fact that you teach us so much in your word. Father, thank you for the fact that you teach us how to not just see masses of people around us, Father, but to really see the need, individual, one at a time. And Father, as we do so, help us to be compassionate about that need. Consider the need, Father. Lord, and, and prompt us to action. We thank you for today. We thank you for preparing us. We thank you for what you're doing here at our church and in our own lives, Father. I pray that your will will be done and not our own. And I ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.